Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a leading movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Skyla, and this week, Jack, Kanisha, Madeline, and I spoke with each other. Don't get us wrong, we love our guests, but we also love our no-guest episodes when we dig in and speak in depth with one another about issues on our mind. And this week, political language and performative activism were very much on our minds. Tipped off by a paper Madeline recently wrote about the phrase, my body, my choice, and how the meaning of that phrase has changed over the years, we talked about the language we use to describe our political ideologies, the importance of sexy slogans, and the power of social media to both provide and erode credibility in social movements and how marketing and catchy slogans can skew narratives and chill discourse rather than enable people to evolve their thinking. We talked in depth about the spectrum of activism and whether and under what conditions performative activism could be a gateway to deeper and more authentic activism. Nobody decides to do activism because it's easy. We agreed that the key to activism is the willingness and resilience that enables us to pick ourselves up and get back at it when we fall short. We also agreed that the way to change is through slow conversation that illuminates the human experience, including that of people in groups we may feel activated against. Hope you enjoy hearing our thoughts as much as we enjoyed hearing one another's. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. My name is Madeline, and I'm a high school senior from Brooklyn, New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, I'm also a lead civic fellow at our civic forums. Um, And today I'm thinking a lot about the language that we use um, in politics and media and to describe our ideologies. I'm extremely interested in words, which is something that's super nerdy to say, but I absolutely love it as an aspiring linguist. I think it's really important to do a little bit of a deep dive on the language that we use and like the jargon of modern times. So kind of with that in mind, recently for my College Now sociology class, I wrote a brief paper about um, the phrase, my body, my choice, how it's a representative of how morality um, has changed in American society um, since the year 2020, um, which is crazy. That is three years ago. And a lot has happened since then. And with all the current event chaos that has erupted in the past few years, the phrase, my body, my choice really, really has changed a lot. But what stayed the same with that phrase is um, Americans not necessarily deviating against government, but using it as a form of activism um, to promote a larger thing that they're passionate about, whether that be for abortion rights, especially as um, the Dobbs decision happened last summer, or with anti-masking or vaxxing. And so I just thought that phrase, the fact that it was used and turned against almost the uh, abortion movement to then actually be a conservative catchphrase was such a crazy and like abrupt change, but it really did show an impact 
how morality has changed and how language can be used and changed to describe political ideologies like that. That was kind of what my paper was about. I'm really interested in expanding on the idea of language use in politics outside of the work that I did. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Hi, my name is Kanisha. I'm a high school senior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at YVOTE. And today I'm just excited to discuss both like the pros and cons of, I guess, a marketing component being added to a lot of social movements in the modern day. I think more than now, right, with like the pervasiveness of social media, with how accessible advertisements getting, with advertisements actually becoming a big part of social media as well, and the commodification of both like personal information and I think a lot of times social good, there's just such an interesting intersection to explore. I think between like where does this sort of marketing or where does this sort of just like creating thematic or unifying element behind a movement turn into performativeness? When does it become facetious? And I think there's a lot of positive that comes from social media. I think there's a lot of positive that comes from this new perspective of approaching movements through right now, more than ever, I think we're seeing movements be a lot more organized. We're getting a really good look at a wider spectrum of activism. But I think with that culture as well, there comes a kind of destabilizing factor or a factor that erodes the credibility of a lot of movements, because um, kind of like you were saying, Madeline, we're seeing these movements being put on T-shirts and being sold at fast fashion stores. We're seeing everyone post like black squares um, and use a hashtag and feel like that's making some sort of huge change. So I just think there's so many like nuances to explore here and I'm excited to have this discussion with you guys. Hi, my name is Skyla. I'm a high school senior from Queens, New York. Um, in addition to being on the podcast, I am also a lead civic fellow. Um, I really am interested in this topic because I think it speaks to how like, despite intention, these like catchy slogans can be skewed and can really change the narrative based on who's saying it and why. It also kind of makes me think to George Orwell's Animal Farm on how like these phrases and slogans and principles of something that was supposed to be utopian was kind of turned into fascism. So that's like really interesting. And then what Kanisha was saying, I think there's so many like nuances to it because it also speaks to how like movements now because of social media are being commodified in a way like if I buy a particular thing then I'm a part of the movement so does that make you an activist or does it make you a participant in activism? Hi everyone my name is Jack I'm a high school senior going to school in Manhattan um, I came to NextGen almost three years ago where I participated in a civic action project distributing surveys uh, on freedom of expression to people in independent and public New York City high schools. After that, I wrote a little piece for the blog and transitioned to the podcast full time. I'm really interested just to talk about in general, like the value of where like sloganeering and like sort of quippy turns of phrase detracts from a general discourse that actually would further people's ideas and help them change their mind. Um, I'd be interested to know sort of at what point, you know, does saying my body, my choice on either the conservative or liberal side, chill discourse or not chill discourse, but shut discourse down in a way that will like 
not actually allow people to, to move beyond it. Um, I'm also really excited to touch a little bit on uh, performative activism. I know that there's a person I follow on Instagram and I find it the most jarring thing because there'll be a photo of them at a clearly very, very expensive, uh, you know, this person is from their Instagram, it's obvious is extravagantly wealthy. Um, so it'll be a photo of them at a ludicrously large and luxurious house in the Hamptons. And then the next one will be, oh, like, here's this like social cause. And, and it's, it's very, very jarring to me to like be going through their Instagram story and see like th that like slide. And then the next one, which is like here, but I'm actually an activist. And I will confess that I used to think performative activism was like an overblown, overblown problem. Like me posting a black square, is it like the most impactful thing I can do? Obviously not. But I think that 2020 did a really good job of actually showing that that was an important, that's a first step, that that's not enough. And so what I've been really surprised actually is, is that like at how long lasting a lot of the things we saw coming out of 20 to 2020, to use an example, even though many people did post black squares, I think that many people are still like committed at least nominally to like racial justice and would be more amenable to having a conversation with someone who's like, oh, like I think that that's problematic or, you know, many institutions have adopted like a DEI director. And so I think that they probably have become just through that exposure and like that climate have probably become more open to like actually engaging with that on a fair ground. So while I do have this weird knee-jerk reaction of like, I don't like the way that this Instagram feed looks because I think that the collision of worlds is really uncomfortable and quite jarring. I do wonder if it is beneficial in some sense. I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. The first thing that pops to mind is, did you guys see AOC's dress that said, eat the rich at the Met Gala? That is the first thing that came to mind because I remember thinking like wow that's hypocritical like even though the intention was that she's at the table it's activism it's a statement but then it's like the people that can't get in there that don't have the money to do that well is that really like the statement that she wanted to make you know something that came to mind for me I think especially was this was I guess a bit more prominent back in 2020. I honestly don't know how prominent this movement is now, but like the all cops are bastards movement with the whole abbreviation. Sorry, I do not know what it's called right now, but um, you know how everyone was putting like ACAB in their bios and things like that, or like posting it on their stories. And I remember seeing that and I was like, I don't think I agree. Um, I don't think this is correct. Or I, I just like, don't feel like attacking the character of people that have chosen to go into that line of work. Um, and then I was like looking more into the movement and I'm looking at videos of people talking about it. And then people are saying, oh, we're not talking about individual cops. We're talking about the policing system. And then I was like, okay, I see where you're coming from. I definitely agree. I think there's a lot of systemic issues when it comes to policing and things that start, you know, literally like from day one, not even training, probably before training that caused people to, yeah, that caused a lot of inequities in the system. But then I was thinking about, especially about like the dissonance between that statement and what a lot of the movement is actually standing for. And I've just found that so peculiar. I, it's like a statement that's supposed to represent a whole movement, but I think it's really obscuring what that movement is in the first place. And I think even if you agree or disagree with either one that it was just that really stood out to me because I remember seeing either it was like comments on the internet or like in my own life talking to people about that um they're like yeah I don't agree with it because like I don't think all cops are bastards and I was like I get you I get that I understand that but it it was just really annoying I, 
I think, have that disconnect and have the way an abbreviation or phrase became a whole movement, came to define a whole movement, I thought was so peculiar and powerful. I feel like we're going to see stuff like that happen a lot more often. It's interesting that you bring that up, ACAB, because I think the popularity, like at the height of the usage of that phrase is when I felt personally like the most afraid because of a phrase. As a person who's a daughter of a police officer, I was absolutely horrified to admit that to anyone. And it it was terrifying to me that my whole life that the person that I knew would be protecting me because he risks his life protecting other people on a daily basis as a police officer of color who is an immigrant here and barely understands English. The fact that that his occupation was turned against him, even though he came with the intent of helping people. Just the fact that there was a movement against that was absolutely terrifying to me. And I was I was so afraid to be othered or like hated against for being related to a police officer. And that's from four letters. That That's the impact that four letters can have on a 14-year-old girl. I felt like so alone because of that whole movement. And of course, I never wanted to um, like ignore the fact that there are terrible cops out there that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing and are acting on uh, racism that they have internally because they don't know how to shut it off when they're in uniform. It was incredibly like powerful whether that be good power or bad power it doesn't matter it just is that that phrase had so much impact on people and how how quickly it became popular too yeah i just want to chime in saying i've met madeline's dad he seems like the sweetest guy ever (laughs) and i feel like yeah i i agree with you I i think also it's i think the shift with statements like that where you shift the blame or the sort of focus from a larger system and a more like deep rooted, like really pernicious issue to something that feels more surface level, I think did a lot of injustice to a lot of like efforts that people have been putting in to reform the criminal justice system. Because like, yeah, I, yeah, I see where you're coming from as well. Like, and I see where a lot of people are coming from. Yeah, there's always going to be bad seeds in every system. That's something you can never control. But I think the fact that like that felt like it became the focus of that movement instead of let's talk about how we should, you know, be conducting police training. Let's talk about the distribution of like actual police patrol in different communities. Let's talk about alternatives to, you know, confrontational policing. Maybe you want to teach police officers uh, how to prevent rather than like defend or more proactivity, like all of that flew out the window. Um, And I think that's, it's both like kind of annoying to see as someone who's like trying to participate in or keep up with those movements. It's like a bit discouraging, I guess, annoying might be the wrong word, but I also think to people who are either already critical of such movements or people who want to learn more about them, it's such an immediate like turnoff. You're just like, oh, movement it like kind of like it's lacking complexity or phrases like that that I think are so that are very controversial I guess and very provocative just building on what Jack was saying in his intro like they kind of close the door to those conversations which I feel like is the opposite of what we should be encouraging 
initially when I heard about that in my like perception of it was like all cops are bastardized where the meaning was like they all participate in like like a bastardized system which is like a corrupt system and I was like okay yeah I understand that and like I started to notice that instead of coming about like centering police brutality and oppression like that it started centering if you have a, like a keychain in your set of keys, like, do you have this in your bio? If not, you don't support the movement. If, do you have this? If not, you don't support it. I also think too, it started becoming less of a conversation of is this system oppressive? Is it corrupt? And do police have the same moral compass as I do? Or do you support your police or do you not? Or instead of what can we do to like target these systems? I think too, being like super young when that was introduced with us, like, cause it was on TikTok. I was like 13 and that was all that was on my TikTok page. It wasn't centering black and brown people in the conversation anymore. It wasn't about them. It was about if you have this in your bio and if you're an activist to your followers. Yeah, I was just gonna build on that and say like, I think it also opens up a gate to like the commercialization of these movements as well. I think you're increasingly seeing like verified Instagram accounts that are making posts about these movements. And just from my like very surface level knowledge of, I guess, like social media marketing or just so social media platforms, I do believe they gain money or at least like some sort of monetary like compensation for that, especially if they're like verified accounts. Um, and then I think kind of like we were talking about how we see a lot of those movements also make their way into, especially clothing. I've seen it a lot with clothing. There's cl- like stores selling pins, stores selling t-shirts. Um, I remember in 2020, I was shopping on the H&M website and there was this t-shirt for like BLM on the website. And I'm like, what is happening? I don't, I don't think this is right. Like, I appreciate the sentiment, but you're also a company that like exploits labor in foreign countries um, and (laughs) contributes to a lot of like negative environmental effects. So I think when you start seeing things like that, it just like, and when people, I think when people buy into that culture, there's a sort of positive reinforcement that comes with the satisfaction of thinking you're doing the right thing. And I agree with you guys that it's like a first step, like making the initiative to engage with the movement, engage with an idea and a way like a small way or a big way is a great first step to jump into those but I think the way it gets bad and crosses over into that bad side is when people start thinking that is it when people start thinking reposting something is it um and I think it just discourages people that are actually like involved in this work and it encourages a sort of ignorance just under the veil of like caring about an issue. Because I think like people doing that aren't, they're not going out with this intent to harm. But I think inadvertently, you're kind of like harming a movement by promoting performativeness over like actual work. Um, And I think at the same time, it gives people that are again, like critical of these movements, a way to poke holes in them by referring to this like commodification, commercialization of social good. Um, So now I feel like smaller businesses that are actually trying to work towards social good don't have the same edge that they used to. And it's also just like creating this larger culture of ignorance, which is not as fun. So 
yeah, it's just interesting to see how movements, especially when like a lot of movements we have don't belong to people. They're just movements for the public to participate in. And I think that's a really good thing. But then, you know, with that good comes people that want to exploit something for the public and for people to like uplift into something that's not as great. I agree that like buying a BLM t-shirt on an H on the H&M website is probably like not the best thing for the movement, but I'd be interested to, to like hear your, your all takes. Like, would you rather that people not do that? Like, like, would you rather that BLM shirt never gets on the H&M website or that like you can never buy those pins? Like, I remember I wa was like walking through Washington Square Park and like there's a hub of like anarcho-socialism or whatever. And they have like all these pins, right? This politician's bad and this politician's evil and you know, so-and-so eats babies and whatever. Um, but. I'd be interested to know if you guys would almost rather have, it's true, the Ted Cruz, but I'd be interested to know like if you guys would rather have a world where that doesn't happen at all, because I agree with the critique that's been made, right? I think that like ignorance and performative action are like two like really bad things. But at the same time, I wonder if you can expect, I wonder if it's like a reasonable expectation to want everyone to be doing the work right? Like to be like reading books and going and hearing thinkers and like writing to their elected officials and going and protesting, right? I think that, you know, my dad who like does, doesn't buy into a lot of like what we could call the BLM talking points did go and march with us, right? Uh, in the wake of George Floyd's murder. But like, is it really realistic to expect someone like him to get behind all of that? My question would be though is, and, and this is how I'm, I'm a real believer of like social change through just like slow conversation, because I think that realistically the way that you are going to change someone's opinion is not by like walking up to them, like dumping like a bunch of statistics and like ethical arguments on them and then be like, oh, ah, your opinion's changed now. I think that the way you would do that is by like slowly changing the culture around them into a way that shows them like the human experiences of the group or groups that they like are holding opinions against. So I've thought a lot about this in the context of like homophobia, right? And so like, I'm convinced that the way you change a homophobe is not like being like, you're so evil, like love is love, rah, rah, but that you really should sit down, like find a queer person who's willing to sit down with them and like have a meaningful conversation and be like, this is my experience of love. And it is really hurtful to me, or it's really offensive to me. And, and I think really hurtful to like our community. And I'm very skeptical of those ill-defined words. You know, it's very hurtful to me that like, this is your opinion. And I think that that has been really transformative for certain things in my life. And I suspect that it could be in others. So I'd just be interested to hear if, if you all think that those pins and those shirts and those Instagram posts contribute to an environment that's more likely to create those like meaningful interpersonal conversations that I think are more likely to generate change. Or if you're made some omnipotent, omnipotent power, like you would like erase performative activism and restrict it to like a like dedicated like activist class. Maybe the framing of that question is a bit like I'm letting my opinion sleep in, but I think I hope the listener and, and the and the questioners can understand what I'm getting at. Well, I think performative activism it's odd because like i wouldn't buy a five dollar t-shirt from h&m and i wouldn't buy like a one dollar pin from washington square park but maybe i would buy a seven dollar enamel pin from like annie's blue ribbon shop in park slope that has like really cute little gifty items that's like a feminist power symbol or something and that's so like terrible actually but for some reason, it makes a difference. And I think performative activism, I also used to think that was the most terrible, awful thing because I didn't think it actually had any meaning or substance. But little things like that, I do think build up a lot. 
And I do think that activism looks differently for everyone and not everyone can be going to protest. Not everyone maybe is comfortable having conversations, but if that means wearing a pin on your backpack, that means wearing a pin on your backpack. And I do agree with you that I think it opens the door for conversations if that's something that people are interested in. And I don't think that we can force people to have conversations as well. Like, of course, I think that conversations are the best way to communicate political ideas, but I don't necessarily think, this is pretty controversial, but I don't necessarily think that people who are homophobic, for instance, should have to change to be accepting of the LGBTQ community or, and vice versa. If you have your own issues with a group of people and that's internalized for you and it's not affecting other people and you're not going out and committing hate crimes against people and it's just something that inside you you for some reason aren't willing to accept I think that as long as it's not harming other people that it's fine not maybe morality like I don't wouldn't necessarily agree with those people but if you're going to have a conversation it shouldn't necessarily have to be with the lens of I need to change what this person thinks ASAP so That's really long-winded and has a lot of ideas to unpack. But overall, I think that activism looks different for everyone, but it shouldn't necessarily have to result in completely changing a person. Yeah, I just want to say, like, when you say, like, activist class, I don't want to, you know, to use the 2022 terminology. I would not like to gatekeep activism. I think that's the wrong way to go. I think we should kind of be doing the opposite. I don't think we should be, like, restricting activism, but I think when it comes to, I'm I'm kind of looking at this on, like, the larger commercial scale of things, I guess, um, or those, like, Instagram accounts that have, like, millions of followers that are kind of about, like, updates and activist movements and things like that I think what I think what happens there is like when it comes to performative activism there's kind of a spectrum of like unhelpful to actually harmful I think the kind of difference behind like performative activism and someone just like trying their best I think is just how much effort you're willing to put in to actually creating some sort of change it's again this is like something very internal and it's very it's a very thin line. It's one that's very hard to draw. But I think more than just intention, it's also like, to what extent do you try to actually implement these practices or these habits in your own life? And I, I think it's there's very clear times that people try to do that and it might not be successful. And I wouldn't call them out and say that they're performative about it. In that sense, I think activism happens on like very small scales as well the biggest part of activism, I mean, I would have anticipated it, but I think what people don't realize, the biggest part of activism aren't like every protest. It's not the flashy symbols. It's not the posters. Um, I think it's just like the willingness and the resilience that someone needs to have to when you fail or when something doesn't work out, pick yourself back up, regain that strength and that like fervor and passion, and you try again. Um, and like, I think it's kind of like inherent to activism that you're going to fail because you're fighting an upward battle the entire time. No one decides to do activism because it's easy. No, no one decides to advocate for communities or issues because it's an easy thing to do or pastime. Um, so I think when, like, when it comes to drawing that distinction, we need to be looking at effort people are putting in. So that's, that's how I would classify it. I think that's kind of why in my mind, I don't think 
wearing a pin or reposting something counts as real activism. It is kind of performative to me because people are just taking those steps and not bringing that into their life, not trying to spark those conversations maybe, or do something a little bit greater. But I think for people that maybe aren't posting that stuff, you know, maybe that they are buying a pen, doesn't really matter, but they're also willing to talk to bring this conversation up at the dinner table. They're willing to like ask their friends that might be doing this work or their guidance counselor for like civic engagement opportunities. Like that feels a more in line with activism to me than the former. Kind of building off of what Kinesia said, I definitely do think there is a difference between like performative and harmful activism. There's definitely like spectrum. But just thinking back to Jack's question, I do think it's hard because as much as like we can complain about how huge companies being like super hypocritical and like mass producing these things, commodities during like a month is performative. But then at the same time, think of myself like walking through like a Target. I remember when I was like younger seeing Target was like so I was like, I just felt like so seen, you know what I mean? And then like starting to like seeing BLM t-shirts. Oh, this is like becoming a thing. Like even if it is in a way critical, it still like provides an environment where people can like identify themselves with the community or like scene. Also too, I think it's like to be noted, like I would love to buy these things from smaller businesses, you know, that directly go with the cause. But if we're thinking to people who don't have like access to that or where those smaller businesses tend to be like very expensive, you know, just those like having those cheaper things can like make people like feel a part of something and can promote those conversations. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to just sort of build on that experience. The perfect coalescing of a lot of the themes that we've been talking about is like Pride Month. Because I think th th there's just relentless criticism of Pride Month that like, and, and it's totally true, right? It's like Christmas, like, oh, like it's the first, everyone has a Pride logo and then, oh, it's no longer Pride Month and then no one has a logo, right? And, you know, of course, like you see brands that are like, yeah, like we're committed to queer rights and then all of their like Saudi Arabian accounts and like Middle Eastern accounts and African accounts, places where it's not as fashionable to like be pro LGBTQ, they say nothing. And so I think pride is like not a bad thing. I think that, yeah, like there are problems, right? And like, yes, it commodifies and, and like, yes, 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 right? I wanna push back on what I feel like the thrust of the conversation has been, which is that like, all this is bad, um, but I, I would like to, I guess, to use Kanisha's sliding scale of unhelpful to damaging, say that it really falls very closer to unhelpful than like, like a damaging thing. Because do I think that advancement of queer rights is really being seriously damaged by Pride, like, I don't know. I don't think so, right? Like, I think that, and granted, my experience of what Pride Month is, is probably significantly different given that, like, I'm experiencing it from New York, right? Which is like the Pride, like, mega center. So, like, what is Tom Smith experiencing in the middle of Idaho? I don't know. Um, but, like, I'd imagine that even though at the point where these national brands are carrying it and mentioning it, I think that it's a really, like, powerful impact, powerful commentary on where our society is that, like, groups of companies feel like they can actually say these things and not be really penalized. To me is exciting and I think is important because in a place like a small rural town, you might not be getting a lot of those other, like a lot of those other um, opportunities to be seen or, or feel an identity or have a marginalized group brought to the forefront. Uh, I was going to say about like the unhelpful damaging scale. Um, I see where you're coming from when you say like a lot of are they lean more towards unhelpful than damaging. But I'm I'm thinking about it on both the like 
larger societal level as well as the interpersonal level. I don't know if it's just me. I don't think it can just be me. Is that when you're talking to older people about this movement, there's a kind of an automatic perception or there's an assumption that it's all for show. And I think that kind it does have a component of truth to it, which is maybe what I'm kind of like grounding some of my arguments or like some of my beliefs when it comes to this in even though performative activism in a vacuum isn't bad. And yeah, if people are posting stuff on their stories or if people are buying a certain shirt, it's not going to like completely destabilize movements. At least I hope it's not. But I think on when it comes to like, you know how earlier we're talking about conversation is like that place to start for understanding different perspectives and working towards some sort of change, even if it's on a small scale. I think the disconnect that performative activism can cause in people's beliefs themselves when it comes to their perceptions of activist movements, when it comes to their perceptions of different, you know, social justice movements, I think that's what gets hard. It prevents those conversations from taking root in the first place. Because I think when people approach them, there's such an automatic jump to, we have such different worldviews. This person like cannot see eye to eye with me. It feels like it ends there. And I think it's one of those conversations that can get frustrating really fast. And it's just like very hard to carry. I think the way it changes public perception of movements is really powerful. And I think like, especially when with the ties between public perception and government itself, right? Because at the end of the day, the people in government are the ones that are going to be legislating on these issues that are going to be putting, changing the infrastructures that uphold so many different inequities in our society. I think the way how public perception is so heavily affected by performative activism gives um, politicians a warrant to not make those changes. It gives them a way to escape that responsibility. So I think it's kind of like a ripple effect. There's no, I don't think it's like a direct tie, like performative activism stops helpful policy from being created. But I think it, in a roundabout way, it erodes movements legitimacy and can make issues at sometimes just seem, I guess, like froofy rather than like really meaningful. Definitely going to contradict myself here, but that's kind of like the point. But I'm going to have to like accept non-closure at this one because I was kind of thinking about that too, like how it's not direct, but you definitely do see a negative impact on where I guess performative activism kind of takes up space in the conversation. More action-heavy movements don't get as much media attention as, say, like a catchy slogan and a utopian commercial does. You know what I mean? A lot of time, like movements aren't pretty. There are a lot of things that happen that we don't want to see and, you know, can't be put on a t-shirt. And that often doesn't get as much attention as like a slogan does but then at the same time those other movements kind of like lose media public support as well because there's not an environment to where other people won't like talk about it like it's wouldn't be brought up in conversation performative activism normalizes movements the connotations that we use to describe and identify with these movements whether or not we um the way that we involve ourselves with them can be considered performative or not is really significant. If we look at like ACAB and even BLM and um, My Body, My Choice, the rhetoric and the connotation seems to be like really negative, drawing attention to the problems that exist, which is exactly what activism is supposed to be. But it also allows for the same amount of backlash 
to come up against these movements and the same amount of hesitancy to arise that's just as powerful or almost as powerful as the movements themselves. And what I've seen is that like movements that are spoken about more positively, more in a more hopeful and optimistic manner seem to get more bipartisan support, like how climate change is supposed to be around uniting everyone under one earth and protecting our one earth. I've really seen a lot of bipartisan support or like disregarding party support around movements like that. And so I think moving forward with the movements that we create to change our society with, we should focus a lot on how we market it, like Kanisha was saying in the beginning, and really take the time to consider, do we want this to be a controversial movement or not? And there are certainly benefits to that. But I think it's just as powerful to consider the unification of people under a movement and not just the divisions. That's all for today with Next Generation Politics. I'm editor Vanessa Chen signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org podcast for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.